The love of God is yours in abundance through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm sure that you've probably all heard the story about George Washington and the cherry tree. How when his father confronted him about cutting it down, he said, I cannot tell a lie, and he admitted to cutting it down. We probably all heard that story. But have you heard the story of Pastor Bork and his cherry tree? I don't know why it was, but in our family, uh, our, my father had planted one tree in the yard for each member of the family. So my dad had his tree. It was a big apple tree, produced hundreds of apples every year. My mother had a, a lilac tree or lilac bush with pretty flowers on it. My oldest brother had a big elm tree because he was the, the oldest. And my next oldest brother had a crab apple tree, which was very messy tree and was quite fitting of his personality and behavior. I had a cherry tree and my young sister had a pear tree. Now I would tease my sister because her pear tree didn't seem to be doing much. Finally it produced one pear and I laughed at her. Ha! One pear! But my cherry tree had a hard time. It never produced any cherries. And so one year, my father cut it down. <gasps> Cutting down the tree? Why did he do that? Because fruit trees are supposed to produce fruit. And mine wasn't. Therefore, it was just taking up space, and it needed to be cut down. Christians, too, are supposed to produce fruit. That's what God wants to happen in our lives. As we finish up our summer series of messages on Christian character counts, we're going to look at the last characteristic that Peter urges us to grow in our lives. Now, all the characteristics that we've looked at so far, with the exception of last week's, have all been focused on things that will help us but last week in talking about brotherly kindness or mutual affection, and now this week in talking about love, we see that these are the fruits we are to produce as Christians growing in our faith. And Peter refers to that right after that list. He says, if you have these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your life. That's God's goal for us, to be effective and productive Christians. So this morning, as we have looked at this whole list of characteristics, let's look now at that final one. Paul says, add to your mutual affection, your brotherly kindness, that we highlighted last week, add to that love. Now, why love? Why at the end of the list? A few years ago, there was a popular song that simply asked the question, what's love got to do with it? And it went on to say that love is, is just an emotion. It's an old-fashioned notion. And the song seemed to imply that love, as we know it, really doesn't matter. But we're going to say Love has everything to do with it because the love we're talking about is not simply this human love 
The Apostle Paul was talking about agape. That was the Greek word that was used for love. And as we heard in our scripture reading this morning, he tells us it's the greatest of faith and hope, and it never fails. How is it that it never fails? If, if we take a look at love in our life, we may see that it fails. We see relationships break apart. We see people change in what they love, their, their particular uh, foods or activities. Eh, changes and they start to love something else. Why is that? Well, human love is often enacted by the quality we see in something else. You see a person, and they got a beautiful personality. Uh, they look beautiful, and, and you're attracted to them. Now you love them. Or there's a particular food you like, like chocolate. Oh, it tastes so good, so you love it. Or there's a store you like, like the dollar store, because of the great deals it offers, and so you love that store. You see what I mean? It's what's the quality that's in that object or person that draws us to it. But that's so different than the love that Peter is urging us to have. And the love that God shows us, agape love, is a love that simply comes from the person, no matter what the other person or object is. So what's love got to do with it? Everything. Because we're talking about the love we have in Jesus. As the Apostle John put it, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. So as we take a look at this final characteristic that we are to grow in our faith, love, let's take a look, first of all, at God's love. Because it's God's agape love that never fails. Why is that? Because that's who God himself is. And this picture you see the word love and you see all sorts of words around it that are describing God's love. God's love is so wonderful and so amazing. There are so many ways that we can describe it. But we're just going to look at four of those ways this morning. We're going to take a look at the passage from Lamentations where the prophet Jeremiah talks about God's love. As he's writing this, he's looking out over his beloved city of Jerusalem that now has been devastated by an enemy army. He's seen his fellow countrymen being carried off into captivity, and his heart is broken. Yet he finds some reassurance in God's love. How can that be? Look at his words. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. With those words, Jeremiah is telling us that God's love is faithful, dependable. Now, sometimes when we buy a particular product, it comes with a guarantee. And that guarantee tells us, well, if something should go wrong, 
we will replace it or give you your money back. Now we hear the guarantees and we think, oh, that product is probably pretty good because they're standing behind it. But if you think about it, what they're saying is there's a possibility that this product is going to break, that it's not going to work. And so we'll give you your money back or give you a new one. You can try that. So the guarantee isn't really a guarantee in that it's absolute going to work. But God's love is guaranteed. God's love, according to Jeremiah, never breaks. It never stops. It never fades. It never fails. It's never taken away from us. It never ends. Why is that? Because of who God is. We have a guarantee about God's love being dependable and faithful. The Apostle Paul in Romans 8, when he recalls all the different things that could happen in our life, disasters, disease, disappointments, setbacks, sin, death, he says, yet none of these shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you hear that? There's the guarantee. The guarantee is that God's love cannot change or be stopped because of Jesus Christ, God's own Son, who came into the world to live in our place. God's Son, who put himself in our place under the wrath of God on the cross. God's Son, who put himself in a grave, but then broke the chains of death to guarantee us forgiveness in life. That's why God's love doesn't fail. It's because of Jesus Christ. And we have that love in abundance. But yet we might think that sometimes we don't experience God's love. That something has changed because of the way things are happening in our life. That God maybe is treating us in a way that isn't loving. What has changed? Well, it's not God's love. God's love is changeless. We might think that something has happened, you know, even with a guarantee. Your, your product breaks and you take it in and they start asking you some questions. Or like yesterday, uh, I had to go and exchange a vehicle battery. Unfortunately, the, the time for the guarantee had run out by two months and so I had to pay for a new one. So sometimes those guarantees that we get in life are limited by time or by what we have done. They might say, well, your guarantee is good, but if you did this or that with that product, the guarantee is void. It's changed. But that's not true with God's love. He tells us, God is not human that he should lie. Not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Of course not. Because what God says he will do, he does. And if we think that it's something that we have done now to change God's love toward us, think again. In Malachi, Jesus, uh, the Lord said, I, the Lord, do not change. So you... Descendants of Jacob, my people, you are not destroyed. Though you've been rebellious, though you have denied me and disobeyed me, 
though you have rejected me and, and, and worshipped other gods, I will not destroy you because I do not change. James reminds us of that too when he says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Shadows change, don't they? Because the circumstances, the environment around them changes. And though things may change around us in our life, God's love toward us will not change. Therefore, we can be assured of this, that even when bad happens, it's not coming as a curse or a punishment from God. But God will instead change it to good. These words here of Moses were spoken to the Israelites to remind them of God's changeless love. Though a prophet by the name of Balaam had been hired by an enemy king of Israel to bring down a curse from God, God didn't curse them. Instead, he changed that curse to a blessing. He says, The Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but turn the curse into a blessing for you, because the Lord your God loves you. You're going through a difficult time. If you've had some things that have been a setback, maybe some health problems, whatever it might be, it's not a curse. God is changing it into a blessing for you because he loves you. We can also say that God's love is eternal, never-ending. When Moses climbed up Mount Sinai to receive from God the Ten Commandments, do you remember what was happening below at the bottom of the mountain with the people of Israel? They were partying and carousing, and they were even worth setting up a golden calf to worship as their God. And yet, while that's going on, God above says this to Moses. He passes in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Despite what the people were doing, God would continue in his never-ending love. Now, I've got a pretty good feeling based on a reliable source, God, that you and I are experts in sinning, right? We haven't had to take any lessons in it. It just comes naturally. We never seem to slow down or or we never seem to run out of ways in which we can sin. We're pretty good at sinning. But there's something that's better, something that tops that, and that's God's forgiving love. It's eternal. God's forgiving love, eternal. Listen to these words of Jesus as he describes that forgiveness for us. When he was talking to his apostles and gave him the authority to proclaim his forgiveness to others. Jesus said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. 
Now you notice from the words in parentheses that I have added something. The original language could be translated this way. Whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. With those words, which we refer, we refer to in grammatical terms as a future perfect, meaning it's referring to the per, a future but considered perfect, done. God is telling us that our sins are already forgiven in the future. Those sins I'm going to commit later today, those sins that I'm going to commit tomorrow and, and the rest of my life, God says they will have already been forgiven. That's God's eternal, changeless, faithful, forgiving love. Why is it? It's based on this. The writer to the Hebrew says, Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, eternal covenant, an eternal promise and agreement that God made, brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep. You see, God has given us a guarantee about his eternal forgiveness. It's in the blood of Jesus. The blood that Jesus shed on the cross is what removes our sins, all of them, all the sins of the world, forever. God gives that assurance to you and me in Holy Communion, where we have that blood of the covenant given to us to assure us God's promise, you are forgiven and loved forever. So, in answer to the question, what's love got to do with it? We need to look at God's unfailing love, not our love. You see, if you look at human love, you'll find that it does fail because we're sinful and fickle. We change our minds. We change our preferences. We change what we want. That was obvious with the Apostle Peter, the one who wrote these very words. You remember earlier in his life, earlier in his walk with Jesus, how he committed himself to never denying Christ, never let anything, anything bad happen to Christ. He would never forsake him. And yet he did. Three times on that night before Jesus died, Peter failed in his love. The Lord reminded him of that after his resurrection when he had this conversation with Peter. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And there Jesus was using that word for love in Greek that's like agape. Do you have that undying, sacrificial love for me? And Peter answers, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But he uses a different word for love. He uses philos, which means I, I have an affection, a, a strong affection for you. Jesus then said to him, feed my lambs. And Jesus asked him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me with agape love? And, and he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Philos, I have a strong affection for you. And Jesus said, then take care of my sheep. And a third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that he asked him the third time, do you love me with Philos love now? And he said, you know all things, Lord. You know that I, Philos, love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. 
Peter had to admit he did not have that kind of love that God wants us to have. And Jesus forgives for that. But let's do this. Let's not judge God's love by the way we love, by our changing standards and feelings. Rather, judge God's love by what he has done for you. He has given up his son to give you life. So cling to God's love. As Jesus said, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, with all your being, hang on to God's unfailing love. So what's love got to do with it? Everything. Because God's love never fails. And that's where our love will come from. There is a, another popular song about uh, love uh, a few years ago, and it asked the question or, or said, are you looking for love in all the wrong places? And that's my question to you today. Where are you looking for love? In all the wrong places? Are you looking for love in people, in things, or activities? Have you find, did you find that sometimes it changes? Sometimes it's, it's, it's good and strong, and sometimes it's weak, maybe disappearing? Or maybe you feel, no, I, 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 found, I found good love, and I'm satisfied. Is it real love? Is it lasting? Is it all satisfying? Can it take care of every need, including your need for faith and forgiveness? That love, my friend, is only the love that God has for us. Find real love in God. And then take a look at the change that it makes in your life. The psalmist said, I am like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. That olive tree would give off those, would produce those olives that would get off, give off the oil that was so valuable to them. Are you that kind of a tree? In God's love, you are. God has guaranteed that love to us. He says God has poured out His Spirit into our hearts, and that will not disappoint us because we have God's love. Now from that love then, we will love the Lord by being obedient to his commands and reflecting, pouring out his love to others. In other words, it's Christ's love that becomes our calling. It's Christ's love that becomes our purpose, our goal in life. Peter even referred to that in the first letter he wrote when he said, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Our purpose is for praising God. That's where we show our love first. Think of the first three commandments that God has given us to obey. We should have no other gods. And as Luther summarized it, it means we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. In other words, 
God is first in my life. Then he urges us not to misuse the name of the Lord his God, but rather to use that name for prayer and praise and thanksgiving, which means now my goal is to give God glory. Then he urges us to remember the Sabbath day, that is to take, to set aside time to hear the word and to worship God. Those become the priorities of my life. Those become the things that I do to, f- uh, to flow with God's love that he has put in me. But it doesn't stop there. Our love for God continues then as we go forward in proclaiming his love. Agape is the highest form of love. It's different than that human love that we have for one another. That human love was called philos in the Greek. It simply meant brotherly kindness. And in the scriptures, it was something that we were urged to use and focus on fellow believers. But agape love is that sacrificial love that God himself demonstrated when he gave up his own life to give us life. That, he urges us, to focus on everybody in this world. As the Apostle Paul noted, may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love, that's agape, for one another and for all men, just as we also do for you. And so he's urging us to proclaim God's love to others. That's what Jesus was urging Peter to do as he restored him with forgiveness, to feed his lambs, take care of his sheep, and to feed them. Salvation is the most important and loving thing we can tell somebody about. It begins with that trust in Jesus, to tell them of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus never held back on telling us what salvation consisted of. His surrendering himself, his giving up his life for his friends, his laying down his life to take it up again, and he did. The Apostle Paul tells us he's not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Therefore, with that same urgency and faithfulness, let us proclaim the love of God to others. We can show it in deeds of kindness. We can show it with hearts that reflect God's love, but we must declare the gospel of Jesus who gave his life and took it up again to give us eternal life. That's the product. That's the fruit God wants us to show in our life. So now as we have finished this series on Christian characteristics and growing in them, can you answer the question, am I a growing Christian? Or am I like Pastor Bork's cherry tree? (laughs) that maybe needs to be pruned, hopefully not cut down. You have God's love. Now grow in that love. Recognize your purpose to praise and to proclaim him. And then you will be that flourishing tree in the house of God. That's why Christian character counts. Amen.